Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Janice McLennan. She's the Managing Director at St. Clair Services and author of the 2004 book, Brand Planning for the Pharmaceutical Industry. Welcome to the podcast, Janice McLennan. Eric, delighted to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, the pleasure is mine because you are going to hit on something that a lot of people want to know about. You know, your presence on this podcast just makes sense uh, as you're an expert in bringing pharmaceuticals to market. Can you describe this process and how you have helped pharmaceutical companies with it? Yes, certainly. So I the, the area that I work in is called strategy. So I'm helping companies actually decide which patients they want their um their particular medication to benefit and how they're going to get that medication to patients as quickly as possible. So make it available for them. Uh, so really it's all those choices they have to make and to try and make that happen as fast as possible and as quickly as possible once the drug has been approved. What does that process look like, I guess? Because, you know, we, we've seen some of this kind of get exposed with COVID, but we also know that the COVID drugs are their own thing because it was a pandemic. So... So when you say, what does the process look like? So I guess the, from a strategy perspective, the process is all about making decisions and the decisions are interrelated. So sometimes you can't make one decision before you've made another decision. So the, it is kind of a sequence for want of a better description, but I would say all the decisions are centered around the patient. So you start with the patient understand which patients you want to make sure actually get access to this particular therapy. And then you go from there. So if you know which patients you're going after or you want to focus on, you want to make sure benefit from it, then the question is, which healthcare professionals do you have to engage with in order to get that therapy to the patient? Yeah. So so when you're talking about trying to get it to the patient, like this part you specialize in is the part that's really like they've already done the studies and how we get it to yes. market. So what does that look like? Are they just, you know, saying, hey, this is, for example, an HIV med, so we're going to really like target areas of like high HIV transmission and those providers with advertising? Or is this something more along the lines of just how does that break down? Yeah. Okay, no, that's a great question. So I think one of the things we have to do is really understand, I'm going to use, again, terminology, the patient journey, but if you, and whether that therapy exists or not today, what happens to somebody with HIV? right? Mm -hmm. At what point do they get diagnosed? At what point does that diagnosis end up in a treatment? At what point does that treatment get reviewed, refined, changed? So we have to actually understand what's happening to the patient. So a lot of really investment goes in tra into trying to understand that. And clearly for a, a global brand, that journey may be different in different countries. You know, so, so it's quite complex. But from all of that, you then try to say, okay, where can we make the biggest difference for the patient? So let's imagine the therapy you've got treats a population which it takes sometimes 10 years for them to get diagnosed. Then what you'd want to do is try and shrink that. You know, you'd say, okay, so what is it we need to do to improve the rate and the speed of diagnosis, for example? Because, you know, once you get that diagnosis, maybe things are a little bit more efficient. Gotcha. And... You know, obviously we talk about like drug pricing is huge with some of the stuff too, which we're not going to dive too much into because that's its own huge beast with that. But is that part of it too with what you do and kind of like how they figure out if this price is just impossibly high for them to afford versus what the profit margin they're maybe expecting? 
so I personally am not involved in that sector, but there are people like me who help companies with drug pricing. Okay. You know, it's a, I think that's an expertise in itself. Gotcha. <laughs> Want to call that out because that can be very different from country to country. And uh, where you're from, uh, if people couldn't tell already by your accent, is not the United States. So <laughs> it's going to be very different here versus where it's going to be in some yeah. of the other countries that have a yeah. just a completely different healthcare system overall. So. Yeah. Once they've identified those patients and they try to figure out like how, how can we get it to them so they can get treated quicker and things like that, what is the way that they do that? Like, do they target the doctors? Do they target the patients? Is it TV ads that we always see here in the United States? Okay, so you, you're going into the execution piece, what okay. I call the execution piece. So the answer is, what, it's like any decision. Once you know who it is, so you've got to know who it is you need to reach, and you've also got to be very clear about what you're trying to do when you're in contact with them. So I might have a situation where you think the world is square. I want you to persuade it's round. And then I'm going to choose appropriate channels to get that message that the world is round across. Does, does it, so it really depends on what you're trying to do as to how you end up actually doing it. Gotcha. And so is there a lot of government involvement with that where they're trying to convince the government to get, in our, in our case, the FDA approval for something or maybe like an official, like a, oh, that's even a proper term, but like an off-label use, something like that so that then they can communicate that legally to like the prescribers and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So clearly we're in a highly regulated industry, right? So absolutely, there's a lot of, I would say, government policymaker involvement along the way. And it's all about, you know, I think what, what COVID did, just as an example, it showed us how the industry could work really beautifully together with government and other policymakers to make things happen. And I hope it's it's going to get the industry to start engaging with people much earlier on in the process. So for example, if you take Europe or even Canada, very often you've got the drug is approved, but there's a delay from the day the drug is approved to when it actually is reimbursed or funded. So patients don't get access to it till it's something they can access. And that can be 12 to 18 months later. So that seems wrong. Now, what's interesting with COVID, that didn't happen. As soon as those vaccines were available, we got them to the people that needed them. You know, it was very different. But that's because both government and industry were fighting the same battle if that makes sense. And I think we have to do that a lot more in areas like cancer, mental health, cardiovascular disease. We, we both have an interest in, in resolving those health issues. Yeah. So to put this in terms, because most of my listeners are in the U.S., I'm just going to try and make sure I frame it like that. So maybe, no, 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 no. Talk. Yeah. So, so maybe use it like the EUA or emergency use authorization first before it hits full FDA approval. And then that's where you might have the payment issue you're talking about, where the, the insurance or the government won't pay for it in that point, but maybe there's still an access where people can have access to it. Is that kind of like what you're talking yeah. about? Yes. So right now, uh, in most cases, what will typically happen is that before it's accessible, the industry will reach an agreement where they, I think they fund it really. So the patient doesn't have to pay, you know, the industry is funding it in order to actually get experience with that drug before it's approved. Okay, almost like a, like a phase four trial, but like a little bit bigger, if you will. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. 
when they're doing that, you know, we've seen a lot of drugs get FDA approval recently that were kind of more controversial. And I'm not even sure if you guys have them over there, but like Adahelm was a huge one for uh, Alzheimer's disease and like the plaque formations with that, that was really showed to be kind of maybe beneficial, but like, you know, the cost on it was ungodly and all the testing with it was just, you know, horrifically huge. And so it hasn't really gained traction. Is that another thing that as they kind of roll this out that would maybe... Give, give us a little more exposure to that or what happens when they yeah. hit that point in a, in an ideal world you shouldn't hit it <laughs> obviously <laughs> because if yes. you've done, you know what i mean no 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 but if you the issue with that is clearly there there's a missed opportunity earlier because you haven't understood the value of your drug you know so i think it's really important to understand the value that you bring in the context of what else is available and then you price a quote, but that's back to pricing probably as an issue. And the other thing is that you are bringing value. So it's extremely important, I think, always to make sure that you understand the benefit and that you can bring something which others can't in some way. And then you try and price for that benefit, I think. Yeah. So, so a drug like Lipitor that was like world changing for cardiovascular health could obviously get away with doing a little bit more with some of that stuff. And because they knew how beneficial it was, as opposed to like, I'll use this one, Livalo or Pativastatin, where it came out for, and it really tried to target like that specific niche of like the HIV, uh, hypercholesterolemia or dyslipidemias. And it's like, okay, this is more of like threading a needle for a need, whereas Lipitor was like the buckshot for everybody. And because Lipitor yeah. was already out, they had to create that niche at the same time. Is, is that kind of how they approach things like that? Well, what's interesting with Lipitor, for example, is that it actually came into the market. I think it was six or seven. I might even get my numbers wrong. I mean, it wasn't the first lipid-lowering agent by any stretch of the imagination. So I would say with Lipitor, yes, the, obviously the drug, creative value. They actually measured things that mattered. They did an awful lot right in the way they went about developing that drug and then actually commercializing it. So I think, you know, their sheer force, the number of doctors they could actually educate about where it had benefit, how, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just a big company doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. At getting, you know, getting something out there. Not every company is as skilled. You know, we don't always do such a great job at getting medicines to the patients that need them. You know, and when I think of that, and this is the same company, and I'm not paid by Pfizer. I want to make that clear. This is another Pfizer drug. It's just what comes to my mind. But, you know, you have Lipitor, which a lot of people would need or, you know, can see the benefit cardiovascularly, even though they don't want to take a statin because, honestly, nobody ever wants to take those things. But then you have a drug like Viagra, that medical need we can debate, mental health maybe a little bit with that, but it's not really something that you could say somebody absolutely needs and is critical to their life function. But yet the same company had, around the same time as Lipitor, huge campaigns, and it was really successful. Is that one that maybe when you're talking about, like, planning for it, that they knew that we're going to have to go, like, more direct to consumer than more direct to physician? Because that's also a very awkward situation to even discuss when you're in your doctor's office. Yeah, so that, that's a really interesting example because actually uh, erectile dysfunction, which is the condition that that particular medication is um, focused on resolving is something which at that point in time nobody would have a conversation about yeah and actually i was involved not with it but with one of its competitors actually involved in listening to some physician and patient research and what was really interesting at that point in time is physicians would giggle yeah. awkwardly you know they they just couldn't it wasn't something they felt comfortable talking about. So I think all of that is is you learning and you understanding, and therefore you then design 
what needs to be done to get this. Again, I'm going to say to the people who need it, because it may that may not be a life-threatening condition, but for some people it's you know, it destroys families and you know, so so it is very important for some and helping those people I think is important, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, it is one that even to this day, people still make jokes about it, even though it's generic oh, and no, everything else. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But no one makes Lipitor jokes, but they all have tons of sales. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with COVID, as you mentioned earlier, and we alluded to, we've seen a bunch of drugs kind of like gain favor or be repurposed. And then we saw a bunch of new ones brought to market with just like dizzying speed. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yet you still say that there's inefficiencies in this market, or in this process. And you mentioned a little bit earlier with COVID, but like, what do you see as like a next step that would be an actual item that like maybe the industry or maybe the government or both could really take so that we can increase the way that the drugs see the light of day while also keeping the trust? Because we saw with COVID, a lot of people lost trust of, quote unquote, the vaccine came out too fast and we're all looking at the data as a scientist going, um, it's not fast enough and this still looks amazing. But what's the way we can kind of like thread that needle? Because that's a huge part with the brand planning of this type of stuff. So I, I feel that I'm going to go back to um, the people who are eventually going to make sure that that medication is made available to patients. So if you think about the role that healthcare professionals play, played in getting the vaccine to patients. So I think that's where... It is literally this idea of the industry needs to work really closely alongside, I think, the healthcare systems to make sure that we achieve what we need to achieve. And we've got to stop this is where the industry and that, you know what I mean, we've got to come closer together, I think, work, support each other to make things happen. We've seen a lot of criticism here, and I'm not sure if you have there, but where people think that the industry is already too close to the government, because we've seen heads of the FDA turn over and go back to you to be lobbyists or big pharma execs or vice versa with that mm. when it comes to doing that is there anything like maybe that you think that they could do better I, th I think we have to i think the the industry's communications need to focus on the difference that they make into patients lives because if you look at the breakthroughs that have happened i mean vaccines is one of them but the in so many disease states i mean i get so excited i'm gonna say five years ago it could be longer but a melanoma diagnosis was a death sentence. Today, people live for 10, 15 years, you know. So, so I think we've got to focus, the communication's got to focus on those differences that we make. That, to me, is and all about, I guess, how do we work with whoever we need to work with to make that difference. So those relationships with government shouldn't be seedy, but it should be, are there things in place which are getting in the way of us getting this to patients? And can you help us address that potentially? Or You know, I think we've seen some of that with even just the pharma advertising recently. And what I mean by that is we'll see that, like a disease state advertised. And you're then, you're, you know, as a patient, you're looking at or even as a practitioner sitting there watching the Super Bowl ad or whatever it is. Well, what the heck is that? Like, okay, that's one I haven't heard about. And then you click the website and they really do a good job of, I don't want to say hiding, but like keeping the brand name of the drug where like you got to really dig to find it. But it helps you bring up that discussion about the disease state to a provider. And I think that's a kind of a way that might be a better way of advertising, if you will, because then you can bring it up without having to walk in there and saying, I need this drug, which if you're a pharmacist or if you're a physician, God, I hate when that happens the whole time. So maybe is that a way that you, you think that could ha actually improve this? I, I'm 100% with you. I think it's all about, you know, it's all about educating the consumer 
and probably not on the drug, but on the disease state. Better understanding, but actually sometimes also better understanding the choices that are available. It's just, to me, it is a lot of it's around education. And I'll say educating the consumer, but actually even the healthcare professionals. Yeah, I had a great example recently where somebody I know was diagnosed with bowel cancer and it clearly had spread, not aggressively, but it got into their lymph nodes. And I suggested that they ask about tests which could profile that cancer. So they went back to their doctor to have that conversation. And the physician said to this person, no, 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 the reason we don't need that now, it's very interesting, but we don't need that. Right now you're going to get chemotherapy. And the reason you need chemotherapy is to prevent the disease coming back. And I sat there thinking, how can chemotherapy, if it's attacking, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But as a lay person, you're going, oh, that's why. Okay, so I've got to put up with this toxicity for the next six months. You know, that to me, I, I would rather she had challenged. Yeah, you know, and when it comes to that too, it also, so many of those things depend on who you're seeing, you know, where you're seeing them, what, they, what tests they have available and stuff like that. You know, if you're going to, I'll use what's in my backyard, the Taj Mahal that is the Cleveland Clinic, or you're going to a small health center that's, you know, out in rural America, you're going to get very different options for treatment or accessibility to that too. So that's a whole nother nother discussion with that. When it comes to bringing out a brand name drug, what are some of the things that you think are important to share with listeners that they may not know in that process? Maybe the determination to get that particular drug to marketplace from the company itself. So the amount of investment that's gone into it, the amount of people who've been involved in it, I think is all really, we maybe don't think about that or reflect on that, but there's a huge commitment behind anything that eventually gets there. Because, you know, with these products, there are thousands in development. And I think the statistics in the US at the moment or in any one year, probably 40 get through. Huge attrition rate, right? Huge attrition rate. So we need to appreciate that when they come through, in principle, they're getting there because they are going to create value somewhere, you know, for somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there's any way that that system could be improved just so that more get there efficiently, especially as we start seeing like mRNA technology come out and COVID just kind of threw a buckshot of things at us with government funding and all that. Do you think there's an efficiency that might be changed or improved with that? I, th- I think so. I honestly believe with the brilliant thing, I know COVID's been a disaster for many, but what it's really done is challenged a lot of myths, even about how we develop drugs. And this idea of we can, historically, clinical trials were done in centres of excellence. People had to get to that centre of excellence. So that excluded lots of people from participating, etc. Whereas now we look at decentralisation of those trials, taking the drug to patients. You know, there's ways of doing this and we get a broader range of patients. I just think we're going to end up with better medicine, actually, as a result of COVID. Yeah, and you know, one interesting thing too is with some of those drugs, especially for COVID, there's some some tracking programs that have to occur to make sure that, you know, the things are monitored correctly and patients are fine and whatever. And it's not, it's just because of all the interactions and problems that they kind of had in the pipeline along the way. But when you're doing that, I think that now with modern technology, we're realizing we can do a lot more of data tracking that we couldn't do easily before. And I think that that's one part for me, and I don't know if you agree with this, so please comment, that the industry could really do better is encouraging or incentivizing 
the reimbursement model so that there can be more post-approval, post, you know, or even like pending approval data tracking with some of the stuff with patients, because we now have more decentralized or uh, electronic health records and things like that. So that a provider at one clinic and a provider at another clinic can communicate that. And, you know, if we give the pharmacist access, they can even upload something if a patient starts mm-hmm. developing a thing so that everyone can kind of be on the same page and the industry or the pharmaceutical industry could possibly get access to that to then change their their data and some of the other things, some of their warnings, some of their side effects, or maybe even when you you never like doing a post hoc analysis of a drug, but maybe you start seeing an, you know an unintended consequence that's beneficial or harmful. Is, would you, is that something yeah. you agree with? Oh no, absolutely. And in fact, right now you'll see a huge investment being made in what we call real-world evidence generation. I think that's absolutely where it's going to go because clinical studies are artificial environments. They're not the real world. And we've got to actually see what happens in the real world and what people, you know, so I I would say absolutely. And again, this is a great example of where I would say pharmacy, physician, you know, people can come together with data that they have and make a difference. Yeah, I think that... The more data we have, the smarter we are. Like sometimes we might misinterpret it as we as COVID clearly brought out with people, but that's a whole nother discussion. You know, I do want to ask two questions before you jump off the podcast here, because I think this has been really insightful. I'm gonna include some links where people can find you because there's so much with this topic that they might want to reach out or might want your expertise on. But if you could change anything about pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be and why? And to listeners, Janice McClellan does qualify as a pharmacist where she is, but she has only practiced for like a year as a pharmacist. So these might be things that are a little different, especially where she lives versus where, where we live here or where I live here in the U.S. So. so I think for me, it's I think pharmacists have a really important role to play. Right. And I I would phrase that role as support the effectiveness of the medicine, the safety of the patient, you know. So making sure that the patient's taking their medication correctly, for example, or that the the dosage they're getting is the right. They should be able to understand, review. So a lot more clinical work and back to your data piece, the digital. I think there's information that pharmacy could have which allows them to do a better job with patients, right? So to me, it's that patient-physician consultation. I find it personally very frustrating when I work into a pharmacist here, a pharmacy here, and the pharmacist is behind, hidden somewhere, and I'm dealing with a front shop assistant. (laughs) You know, and you just think actually, and he or she is telling me what the pharmacist has told them, you know, I just think that's wrong. Like, I need somebody else doing the dispensing for want of a better description. And let's get these fabulous people out talking to patients. That would be the change. Well, I say change. That's where I would see. That's funny. It's Mm -hmm. funny because, you know, you have more of a socialized healthcare system over there. We have the most capitalistic system you've probably ever seen. That's propped up by the government at times. And that's literally the same problem. So this is a profession-wide, around-the-world problem, not just a U.S. problem or a money-making scheme or anything like that. So I think that's that's pretty interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Now, this one I'm going to have to put a little caveat on, too, to try and make this a little more applicable. But if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal, state, international, uh, what would it be and why? And I'm going to say specifically if you can, but you can use whatever. If you want to make it around drug planning and pricing stuff, go for it. Mm, that's interesting. And you've just given me a, 
hint when you said if you want to make it round pricing, because that I guess what I would hate to see is patients that can't afford the medication they need. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not clued up on the laws actually in this area, but I think as a pharmacist, ideally, if you know your patient, if you know the people that are enga- you engaging with, then maybe there are ways that you could help them give ac- get access to this medication if they can't afford it, because you know they need it. I don't know if that answers the question, but I, that to me would be, I'd want pharmacists to be able to make decisions. So maybe a better way to get us pe- to help pharmacists get people enrolled in some sort of trial, some sort of funding yeah. program, yeah, exactly, some sort exactly. of samples. Maybe that's it. And right now, I don't think pharmacists think about or know what trials are available, right? They don't know what opportunity. You've just made me, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking that's fabulous, right? <laughs> that's why we do podcasts, so we can talk and try and solve the world's problems, folks. But uh, but no, I think that's a good call out too, because I've been in that situation where you're working in a community and you're like, you know, not where I currently work, but where I previously worked. It's like, hey, I don't know how to get you this at an affordable rate, and I'm sorry. And then, you know, you leave without it. I'm now mad at the system, and nobody benefited in the entire thing, even yeah. the business side. Yeah, no, absolutely. Grim, actually. Yeah. And yeah. that sense of personal satisfaction, which I think we all need. You know, you feel good when you've helped somebody achieve something, or, right? Yeah. That's lost yeah. as well. Right? Awesome. Well, uh, listeners, Dr. McLennan here has been amazing with her her work and her sharing of everything. I can't say I support it enough because I just think that this is a topic that we need to get out when we talk about things because the pharmaceutical industry tends to be pretty closed door. So this is one of those things that I'm going to include links to her uh, LinkedIn profile, her book, which she now says is outdated since it's from 2004, but I think it's still just a good, if nothing else, intro and people catch up with kind of some of these strategies. Again, thanks for coming on the podcast, Janice McLennan. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.